1 Peter chapter number 2. And last Sunday, we've been going through, uh, by the way, 1 Peter, and our theme for the year is Precious Jesus, as you can see behind me in a different places in the building, from 1 Peter 2, 7, unto you therefore which believe he is precious, and Jesus is precious. Last Sunday, we looked at verses 11 and 12, how we're strangers and pilgrims. That evening, we looked at the Christian's relationship with the government in verses 13 through 17, and you can check that out online on our Facebook if you'd like to catch up with that. And then on Wednesday, it was a little more of a teaching sermon on what the Bible uh, has to say about servanthood and even the cultural issue at that time of slavery and uh, how the Bible is against uh, stealing of people and obviously very much against racism, and we are as Christians as well. And we just looked at what the Bible has to say about that, sort of to clear that up. But I'd like to begin again, even though we looked at it Wednesday, in a more fuller context, verses 18 through the end of the chapter, verses 25, okay? So 1 Peter 2, the Bible says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Now, now Peter is, the Holy Spirit's telling him what to write. He's teaching these servants how to be Christian servants now. Even though they're free in Christ, they were still in that position as a servant in that household. It was a household servant. In Rome, every, I don't remember how many, every fifth person or so, or even more in some places, was a servant. Well, that was their lot in life. Usually they were a conquered nation that Rome absorbed. But now this person, maybe even they grew up as a servant now. Maybe it was their parents, but whatever, they were a servant. And how do I be a good Christian? And so he was teaching. Servants, be subject or submissive to your masters with all fear, respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, the crooked. So he's saying, and we looked on Wednesday, how the parallel there is between an employee and his employer. That's the greatest parallel that we would have in America today. Sometimes our boss doesn't treat us well or like we think we should be treated, and yet we should still have that submissive, godly attitude. We talked about that a lot last Sunday morning as well, about being strangers and pilgrims, how our lifestyle may turn people to Christ. Let's go on. Verse 19, for this, though, is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief suffering wrongfully. Now, do you see that? Now, I know I'm going to change somebody's life this morning with the message because sometimes the Lord will allow us to go through something that we don't deserve, I'll admit it, and it's wrong that we're suffering, but Jesus says, the Lord says, the Bible says here that it's thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God out of a good testimony for the Lord suffers, endures, is patient with some grief suffering wrongfully. Verse 20, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? So in other words, if you do wrong and you suffer for it, there's no glory in that. I'm just suffering for Jesus. Why are you suffering? Well, I broke the law and I'm in jail now. I'm suffering. Well, no, no, no. You did wrong and you're suffering for it. There's no glory in that. That's what it's saying here. But if, the middle of verse 20, when you do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Well, hit this again. The same theme comes up later in 1 Peter about suffering and how a Christian should suffer. Now, I'll say right now, just to get it out of the way, if, if there is a law being committed or broken against you, you're undergoing some abuse or something, that's not what we're talking about, okay? And so if you're in an abusive relationship, okay, that needs to be addressed in a different way. But I'm just talking about day-to-day suffering, how when somebody mistreats you, somebody says something bad about you, okay? Somebody is not fair with you. I realized when I was in school, 
in, in these guys' age, and we're not doing junior church this morning, just because I love to see your faces up here and also over the baptism and everything. I remember when I was little, guys, you tell me, is the teacher always fair with you or sometimes it's unfair? Sometimes the teacher turns around and you get in trouble for talking when everybody was talking and some, maybe it was just me, but I was the loudest. And so I got in trouble when everybody else was talking and, the, and my parents would say, well, if you're the loudest, you're going to get, and that wasn't fair to me. That wasn't, I, that was injustice and that just burned me. Well, sometimes that's going to happen. Okay. That happens at every stage in life, but look here in verse number 21. And this is really the main sermon, uh, main point of the sermon for here, even Hereunto were ye called. So as a Christian, this is what you're called to go through. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Valentine's Day is coming up. It's on Tuesday. Now, I hope that wasn't a shock to anybody. If it is, you still have time to go to the store after church tonight, guys, before the Super Bowl ends, and you can. The Super Bowl is today. Don't worry, we're still having church, but uh, I'll make sure we don't take more time than we need, okay? We'll have a good balance. We're not canceling for the Super Bowl, but we'll have not, not longer than necessary service. But uh, there's still time to get those flowers, and sometimes it's, it's in your face, right? All this stuff about love, and then you might ask yourself, what is love? I think Jesus was the greatest example of love. God loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. So love is giving. Love is selfless. I had my wife go to some of the young people, the kids this morning, and ask them what love was to them. And uh, we got a few different answers here. Love is candy. Love, right? Enough said. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's go home. Love is chocolate. Love is hearts. Love is never giving someone away. Oh, love is having friends. Good. Love is being kind. Love is hugging your mommy. Oh, love is going to grandma's house. Love is this. I like this one. I like them all, but love is colorful and delicious. (laughs) So well done. Very good. All of you. And there's a lot of, uh, definitions that you could say of love. And I think if you were to go around man on the street and just ask people, what is love? How would you define love? Like a young person, a teenager, a millennial, whatever. What is love? What does love mean to you? I think you would get a lot of answers that sounded, sound something like this. Love. I know that I love this person because of how they make me feel. I feel good when I'm around them. I feel happy. I feel warm. I feel accepted. And I understand that I'm not really belittling that, but we, we've got to be careful here as Christians to have a, a biblical, remember we're Baptists, we believe the Bible, and other people believe the Bible as well, but that's a hallmark of the, you know, we believe the Bible completely, and we've got to have a biblical understanding of love. Love is actually this. Love is selfless. That's really what love is. Love is a decision. Love is a choice. You know, if I'm going to decide to love somebody, it is made, it's sustained in the power of the Holy Spirit, but I can decide to love you, and at that point, it doesn't matter what you do to me, I will still love you, right? That's what I tell my wife as she beats me every night. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no. But you know, when somebody gets married, when, and we had some good training in this, and people counseled us, when you decide to love the other person, it doesn't matter if they have a bad day and they say something uh, about you or to you, and Kara's never sinned in her life. She's a very, very, she really is the greatest Christian I know, but she's very easy to be married to. But, but you know, everybody has a bad day. It doesn't matter what the other person does to you. Your responsibility is to love them. Did you know when we look at a love relationship in the Bible, and this isn't really a Valentine's Day message, but I'm just thinking about it. 
the, the responsibility of love is always on you. It's never on the other person. I would just love them if they would only, no, 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 that's not real love. That's a selfish love, which is not love. A godly love is this. It is a serving relationship. If I love you, I will serve you. If I love you, I'm not looking to see what I can get out of you. I'm looking to see how I can be a blessing to you. I'm giving you first place. And as Christians, we are to, by love, serve one another because that's an expression of love. Love is, is an outward expression of what the Lord has done in your heart. Like baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision. That love, that Christ-like love is totally selfless. It's a serving thing. And I want you to see here in verse 21, hereunto were ye called as Christians because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Leaving is literally leaving behind. Example means riding under. Peter went back to his boyhood days as an illustration of what you and I are supposed to uh, do when we encounter suffering in our life and still serve other people. You know, when you were you're little and you tried to learn your letters, some of us, that was a long time ago, but we can remember the gist, how to learn our letters. There was a piece of paper and we would write over, trace over what somebody else had done. Whether it was printed, maybe a really faint letter, or maybe a perforated, a dotted letter, and we would try to write over it, and you would write over and over and over until it looked right, and that's how you learned how to write. Your ABCs, that's how we learned how to write. Well, that was the same way back in here, and Peter said, the Lord left us an example, in other words, a leaving behind so that we could follow in his steps. I was never very good at penmanship as a little kid. Are you guys good at penmanship? Kind of. How many of you would say that's pretty good? You're good at penmanship. Yeah. Luke, you're good at penmanship. Nice. Good. I appreciate that. He doesn't write yet, but that's okay. I'm sure he will be. Uh, I was never good. In fact, we had at our school there in Hammond, Indiana, where I went, uh, we had honor roll. There was a honor roll. Everybody hated those kids. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. April 4.0. I'm just kidding. No, we admired those kids. Uh, a honor roll. They had a B honor roll, but nothing for ABC honor roll. For some reason, there was no recognition there. And I could never get a B honor roll because we got a letter grade in penmanship. And I never really made honor roll consistently until that was dropped, except for one time when I was little. I, for me, grades were always a wild surprise. I never knew what I was going to get on my report card. I never really kept up with it. Just whatever. I, even through Bible college, I never knew what was going to happen when that report card came out. Sometimes it was a good surprise. Sometimes it was a disappointment. But one time I remember early Saturday morning, we were home, and my dad was opening the mail from the previous day, and there was a letter from my school. Now, how many of you understand, when there's a letter from your school, that's not usually to say how good of a student you've been lately. That's usually a problem. I got plenty of those notes. My mom, okay, my mom to this day keeps a letter in her wallet from my fifth grade teacher that she sent home saying that Jonathan is a ringleader for trouble. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? She keeps it in her, I mean, like, get over it, woman, all right? That was, that was years ago, my word. And so anyways, that's what she's, I'm not anymore, praise the Lord, I don't think. But uh, anyways, so I, I was hoping it wasn't one of those letters because my parents believed in swift justice. And so I, when he opened that letter, I realized it was a, it was a report card. Well, not much better for me because I, I don't know what's going to happen in there. It might be good, it might be bad. But as he opened it, something fell out. And it was a little strip of blue silk material, and it kind of fluttered to the, to the ground. And he picked it up, and on that little blue strip was in gold letters, A, B, 
honor roll. I had gotten A, B, honor roll. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I got a B minus in penmanship that quarter, whatever it was, I don't remember, but I was so excited. It didn't happen again, so they dropped penmanship off the letter grade, but I was so excited. And you know why that had happened? Because I had tried, because my parents were always on me about my penmanship. It was never good. It's not good now. It's much worse now than it was even then, I think. But they would be on me, and I would trace, 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 And you know, the Lord Jesus left us an example. That's exactly what the Bible says here. And that exact illustration is what he's giving. That you and I, in our life, specifically when it comes to suffering for the Lord, having something done to us that's not fair, still in love, still in service, here's how we're supposed to do it. So in our life, Jesus left us an example. That's what we're going to look at this morning. That you and I need to trace over trace over. It's legible when we trace over the life of Jesus. It reflects and represents the Lord Jesus when we trace over. I want you to see here this morning how Jesus suffered and how he served us while suffering, the example he left us. Number one, he served us while suffering blamelessly, blamelessly. Verse 22 says, who did no sin. So this is the example, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. I'll I'll say this, Jesus Christ never sinned. Jesus was born not a sinner. He was born of a virgin, and he never sinned one time in his life. He was the son of God. He was perfect, holy. He is perfect, holy. He is sinless. Jesus is sinless. He was blameless. Without blame, there was nothing you could have laid to his fault. And so this morning, I'd like to address a couple things. So first of all, it's sort of practical There might be a relationship in your life right now that might be cracked a little bit. There might be some repair that needs to take place, whether that's with your uh, friend, maybe a family member, maybe your spouse, maybe your sibling, okay? And whenever you have that break in that relationship or it's a strained relationship, first of all, make sure that it's not your fault. Make sure that there's no sin in your own life. And, and let me tell you right now, there is sin in your life, okay, because everybody struggles with sin every day, so let's not get too high and mighty. I've done nothing wrong. That's probably not the case. I don't know if it ever has been for two human beings struggling against one another, okay? So first of all, make sure you get it right, all right? So that's our pattern for suffering, first of all, who did no sin. Jesus was sinless. If you want to suffer like Jesus, if you want to go through something like Jesus, we've got to do it blamelessly. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So because Jesus had no sin, his sacrifice for our sin could pay for our sin. He was a perfect lamb. Look over at verse number uh, 18 of 1 Peter 1. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, the silver and gold, so you're not saved by money, by stuff, from your vain conversation, so works received by tradition from your fathers. Here's how we're redeemed. Here's how we're saved. With the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So Jesus was sinless. And Jesus, if there was ever anybody that didn't deserve what he got, it was Jesus. You and I could very often say, and it could be true, but maybe not always when we say, I don't deserve this. Because Jesus is the only one ever who was sinless who never did anything wrong. Sometimes we say, well, I don't deserve this. There, there might be something that we kind of maybe did to bring, not necessarily, but Jesus is the only one, the only one ever who could say, I did nothing to deserve any wrong against me. You look at his life, it was blameless. So Jesus did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. 
guile is deceit. We looked at that before as we're to lay aside guile. Guile is misleading people with your mouth. Guile is not sharing the whole truth. He didn't even do that. He did no sin. He didn't sin with his lips. He didn't sin with his actions. He did no sin, and he suffered blamelessly. Number two, notice in your outline, he suffered graciously, graciously. Look at verse 23. So he did no sin. He didn't say anything wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. Verse 23, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. To revile means to be cursed, to be mocked, to be talked bad about, to be lied about. Now, now be honest, okay? It's just us here this morning. So has anybody in here ever had something not true said about them? Any of us, anybody in here, you ever had something not true said about you? Really? So all that stuff I heard about you was true. Yikes. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. People are talking. No, they're not. I'm just kidding. But yeah, so Jesus was reviled. But you know what Jesus did? He reviled not again. What an example this morning. Jesus was the only person ever who didn't deserve anything bad done to him, ever. And yet when he was reviled, he was talked bad about, he was, he was abused, he uh, uh, reviled not again. He didn't answer back the same way. Look at what the rest of the verse says. It says, when he suffered, he threatened not. Jesus there, when he was uh, being crucified, he said at some point, he said, no, you know, at any given point, I'll paraphrase, he, he could have called 10 legions of angels to him at that point, 10,000 angels right there at that moment. So, so Jesus wasn't taken by force against his will or anything. Jesus willingly gave himself to be crucified. Jesus could have in an instant called 10,000 angels to defend him. Jesus could have in a word spoken and everybody would have fallen down backwards. There were many times when Jesus just walked through the midst of people when they wanted to stone him, perform miracles because it wasn't his time yet. When Jesus was crucified, it was time for him to be. That was the father's will. And so when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. He said, do you know who my father is? <laughs> okay, we might've said that in school sometime. He could have said that, couldn't he? You know who my father is? You know what I could do to you? You better be nice to me. No, he didn't do anything like that. That's not how he suffered. And you and I, we were left this pattern to trace our, with our own lives. This pattern of Jesus. When you go through suffering, maybe it's in a, a relationship and, and I'll be melodramatic called suffering, but maybe something that you don't deserve. Why did he talk to me that way? Or what, what, what did he mean by that? Don't be looking for an opportunity to be offended. Look for an opportunity to serve. By love, serve one another. Not what can I get out of you? Whether it's your coworker relationship, your, 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 your stepchildren, your in-laws, your nephews, your nieces, your grandma, your grandpa, your, your siblings. Siblings, I have four kids now and I'm noticing I'm an only child. But I notice how tough sometimes, oh, I know, I know. I don't act like an only child though, right? Okay, uh, anyways, <laughs> um, but anyway, but so I notice how siblings, uh, sometimes, you know, there's that, there's that friction, there's that strife. And so you're looking sometimes for an opportunity to be offended or where's the injustice? Here's where Jesus left us an example to trace over. When he reviled, was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. He was gracious in his suffering. You and I, there would be so many situations that I think would stop dead in its tracks. Um, maybe an altercation, and we've all had them, maybe where there's a misunderstanding. It usually starts with a misunderstanding a little bit. There's, some, there's something that somebody shouldn't have done, but it sort of seems bigger than it is. And then it's back and forth, and then it turns into this big thing. And now we're not speaking. And it's turned into this huge thing in this relationship. But you know how it could have stopped if one person, one person, would have traced their response as over Jesus' response. When he, when he was reviled, didn't say anything back. Didn't respond the same way. 
When he suffered, suffered there, by the way, it's abused, beaten. You know what Jesus did for you and me? He had his beard torn out. He was whipped. He was nailed to a cross. He had a lot of bad things said about him. Sure, but Jesus didn't deserve any of that. But you know what Jesus did? He threatened not. All of these problems that we have, they would very often be stopped dead in their tracks, these relational problems, if you would just respond like Jesus. You know, it's hard to yell at somebody when they're just responding like Jesus. Well, I'm praying for you. That's right. It, it, it doesn't keep going on and on. It doesn't, it doesn't get bigger and bigger and bigger. People are watching you, remember last week, including your response. Are you tracing your life, even in suffering, over Jesus' response? So he responded to suffering in many ways. He responded uh, blamelessly. He was blameless. He also responded graciously. And then finally, this morning, number three, he responded in suffering, loving, serving other people, serving you and me by dying on the cross for us. Here's how he responded, trustfully, trustfully. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself. Look over here. I want to make sure I say it right. But committed himself, verse 23, to him that judgeth righteously. Man, what a verse. This will change your life if you can get this. This will change your life forever. When you go through something, as you will, you will, you probably are right now. You're going through something. Somebody is saying something about you. Maybe your teacher doesn't get you and you're in school and maybe somebody in your class said something about you. Maybe your family, whatever, whatever, whatever. Your neighbor is reporting you to the HOA, whatever. I don't know what it is. When something happens to you and, and it's not necessary for you to respond, you don't revile again. You don't threaten not. But here's what Jesus did. Here's what you should do. Commit yourself to him that judgeth righteously. Commit literally means to take and to put into the hands of, to surrender over. Here's what Jesus did, and Jesus was God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. He's preexistent, preincarnate. He didn't begin to exist, but he is the son of God. That's how he's described here. Son of God is an equal. That's why he's described as the son of God. And, but what he did was he took what he was going through, and he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He said, here's what I have. Remember in the garden of Gethsemane before he was crucified, he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, this experience, this crucifixion, this pain. He's God. He knew everything that was about to happen. And he wanted it to pass because he was all man also. He didn't want to experience that. If it's possible, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You know what Jesus did? He took his situation and committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. When you go through something, you, and this is so foreign to you and me, because you and me, when we have a relationship or there's a, a confrontation or an altercation or something, we are keeping score, automatically keeping score. Well, they did this much to me and I did only this much, so I'm a good Christian because I only responded this much, okay? But you and I, here's what we have to do, what Jesus did, because he left us that example. Look again, I, I wanna show you again. Mark this in your Bible. For even hereunto were ye called, verse 21, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. So when something happens to us and we can't figure it out and I cannot believe what's going on and I can't believe what these people have said and uh, this relationship or whatever, here's what you do. You take that and you commit yourself to the Lord who judgeth righteously. If somebody did something bad against you, you know what God said? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. That's what he said. And we said on Wednesday, if you try to get even, you're stealing from God because God will do a much better job than you. He said, vengeance is mine. I will take care of it. You just chill out. Commit yourself to him that judgeth righteously. Everybody have a pen in their hand, something, piece of paper, a Bible. I want you to look at that thing in your hand 
I don't want you to imagine that that's what you're going through. That's your suffering. That's you. Now take it, and if we all do it, we won't feel silly, okay? So now take it, and I want you to go like this. Can everybody do that? Can we do it together? All right. Commit yourself to him that judgeth righteously. I want you to imagine that situation. You Thank you for indulging. I want you to imagine that situation you're going through. You need to take it and just give it to the Lord. Just give it to the Lord because the Lord knows what he's doing. The Lord knows exactly where you are. He does. Brother Shag talked about suffering this morning in Sunday school and 2 Corinthians, I think, 12, how Paul asked God to take away that thorn in the flesh three times. This messenger of Satan, I've got this sickness, I've got this infirmity, something is limiting me, I wish it would be taken away, I'd be a much better preacher, but God knew that without that thorn in the flesh, Paul wouldn't have been Paul. He wouldn't have been able to be selfless, he wouldn't have been able to trust in the power of the Spirit, he would have trusted in his own flesh. So just know that whatever you're going through, God knows what he's doing. There is a reason for it. Maybe people are watching you to see how you respond. Maybe he's gonna use you to point other people towards Jesus because your life, you're just tracing over the life of Jesus. You're reflecting Jesus in your response. Jesus responded. He, by love, served other people. He served us. He responded blamelessly. He was blameless. He made sure it wasn't him. Of course, it can't be, you know, understanding our relationships, you need to make sure that we get things right. He responded graciously. He did not respond the same way he was being treated. He didn't threaten not, didn't revile. And then he responded trustfully. He responded trustfully. He knew that God knew what he was doing. And because he did that this morning, I want you to look again at 1 Peter, and I'm nearly done. 1 Peter, look right here in verse 24, 1 Peter 2, 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. I mentioned a few minutes ago that some folks got saved in the last uh, week or so, and um, this is what they did. They trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus. You know, Jesus, there's a little a symbol of the, of the cross right there. We don't worship the, the, the symbol or anything, but it just is a remembrance for us. We remember that's why we're here, because Jesus died on the cross for us. Jesus bore our sins on the tree, the cross. He did that by love serving us. He bore our own sins on the tree that we being dead to sins, why? Because he paid for our sins. Dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. So those, those uh, whippings that Jesus took, those stripes, those wounds, he did that for you and me so we could be healed. Healed of what? Not of our sickness or our chicken pox or the flu or anything, but of our sin. You see right there, we live unto righteousness so we could be healed of our sin. We've got a problem that Tylenol can't fix, that a vaccine can't fix. It's a sin problem. And Jesus bore our sins on the cross in love. Verse 25, for ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Isn't that beautiful? The shepherd and bishop of your souls. Shepherd is the guide, overseer. Uh, uh, the bishop is the overseer. I'm the shepherd. The Bible calls the pastor the shepherd and bishop of that local church assembly. But Jesus is the shepherd and bishop of your soul this morning. He is the one who guides you. He is the overseer. And you know why? He bore our sins on the tree on the cross so that you and I could be healed. Jesus is our example in every way. This morning, you and I need something done that only God can do. We need a relationship repaired that seems too far gone. Somebody needs to be like Jesus to make that happen. Maybe there's, you can see it beginning in your friendship. Somebody needs to stop and just be like Jesus. Trace the letters just like Jesus. You need to be saved this morning. 
If you don't know for sure you die today, you'd go to heaven. You can be saved today. And how can that be done? Jesus bore our sins on the tree. And all you have to do is trust Christ, ask him to save you by faith, and he will save you. You can know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. I want to encourage you with one little story that I read, and we'll be done. D.L. Moody was a prominent pastor and evangelist in the late 1800s. In, eight, in fact, I, he died the, the year this building was built, 1899. That's interesting. In 1875, Moody, as many people were coming to hear him preach and were trusting Christ, the media was digging up dirt on the evangelist. And the media typically hasn't been friendly to the cause of Christ, it seems like, in America and abroad. The New York Times, in particular, was in Moody's gracious words, quote, strong in its opposition to evangelists in the 1800s. They reported Moody and his song leader, Ira Sankey, that they were, quote, credibly informed that messengers Moody and Sankey were sent to England by Mr. P.T. Barnum as a matter of speculation. In other words, the circus must have sent them because it was ridiculous. They're preaching. They just preached the gospel. Another paper, the Saturday Review, reported on a different date that they were taken aback when, quote, so many persons go to hear the Americans. As for Moody, he is simply a ranter of the most vulgar type. His mission appears to degrade religion to the level of the penny gaff. And the penny gaff in that day was the lowest and cheapest form of entertainment, like a back alley play or something. They were ridiculing the gospel and the cause of Christ. And here, D.L. Moody, as a man of God, a preacher, he had a decision to make on how he would respond to that. And here's what Moody did. And you'll indulge me here. He got out his pencil and he traced the life of Christ. And now he responded to suffering. You know what Moody did? He just kept on. He just kept on preaching. He didn't get there on Facebook and be like, well, you know what? Uh, let me tell you something right now. No, he didn't do that. He didn't get, come out there and preach the next message with a bad attitude saying, and you, Saturday Review, and you, New York Times. No, no, no. He just kept on. He reviled not again. He threatened not. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And you know what? It is said that at the end of Moody's life, 100 million plus people at any one time uh, over his lifetime sat under his preaching. An untold host are in heaven today because Moody kept on preaching the gospel. He responded like Jesus. Now, I wonder this morning that whatever you're going through, if you're going to allow your own selfish pride to get in the way of what the Lord wants to do in your life. You know, Paul, when he had that thorn in the flesh and the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for thee. I'm not going to take it away for my, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul could have said, well, fine, I just won't do anything then. And his effectiveness for Christ could have ended that day. But he kept on, he kept on writing scripture, Holy Spirit teaching him. He kept on winning souls to Christ, kept on responding like Jesus, tracing his life, leaving or having Jesus as an example, the example that Jesus Christ left God can work things in your life, some things that you can't see that might be able to be done if you trace your letters like Jesus. If you'll get out of the way, God can work there. By love, serve one another.